0: This is a main hustle media podcast. Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity issues from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and this is week two of Militantly Mixed. Before we get started, I just want to thank everybody who took the time to download and listen to the first two episodes, which aired last week on July 5th. I have been receiving really nice responses via Twitter and Facebook and email from people who heard the podcast. Honestly, I expected the first few weeks to just be friends and family with You know, maybe one or two random people picking it up here or there. But I've actually got quite a few messages from people that aren't connected to me personally, and even some folks that said they learned something or learned something about themselves just listening to the episode, the conversations that we'd had. So it's been a pretty good week for a first time podcaster getting, you know, really nice responses from people. I've even had a surge of people interested in participating in a discussion on Militantly Mixed, which has been great coming off of the very first couple episodes. If you are interested in participating in a discussion on Militantly Mixed, please email me at charmaine at militantlymixed.com, and that is S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, a and as in nancy e and if you haven't had a chance yet please subscribe to the podcast via any podcast platform that you're currently listening to itunes spotify soundcloud etc and also rate and review because when you do that it does put it gives a more chance that militantly mixes icon will pop up in someone's view and give us a little bit more exposure hopefully we can connect with more mixed race people around the world. Today I want to share with you a discussion I had with filmmaker Melissa Guzman. She is the writer and producer of a web series called Complexity, which is on the subject of colorism. This is actually a discussion that I had recorded about two months ago. It was before I had an idea of what the format of conversation was going to be for all of the militantly mixed episodes. It's also a little bit before I had received all of my equipment, so it was just recording a straight on my laptop on Skype, just a conversation between two creators that wanted to talk about mixed raceness and the projects that they were creating. So there are gonna be a couple little spots where there's dodgy audio. You'll also hear (laughs) <laughs> There's also a couple of spaces in which you can hear me typing because I am typing notes while we're talking because I'm trying to be good and keep track of the conversation, not realizing how loud it was going to be. So that was just a little rookie mistake on, on, like I said, it was one of the first interviews that I had recorded and I didn't want to sacrifice a whole perfectly good conversation just because I made a couple, a couple of little r- rookie mistakes. But this is the adventure of a new podcaster trying to learn the craft. So I hope you bear with me during the first couple episodes as I'm kind of learning more and getting used to not making as silly mistakes as typing really loud. So I liked Melissa Guzman right away. We connected through Facebook via her co-producer on Complexity, Danielle Earle, who is also going to be a guest on a future episode of Militantly Mixed. We got onto Skype to chat about my podcast and her web series. And within the f- first few minutes we were just gab 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 gabbing i think we we went on for about a half an hour to 45 minutes just talking about fundraising which is not actually included in the episode today if we didn't both have appointments that we were supposed to meet later on we probably would have gone on talking for about 16 hours straight because she just has that kind of personality she's just a person you're going to want to talk to she's so funny and sweet and i'm i'm excited to have gotten a chance to talk to her and share our discussion with you she's currently in pre-production on a web series about colorism called Complexity. The story is about four interconnected families from different ethnic backgrounds and how they are separately affected by colorism. Colorism is an issue affecting people of color all over the world. Oddly enough, or... Oddly to me, maybe, it is technically defined as discrimination against dark skin toned people, typically among the people of their same ethnic background. But I would say that colorism is something that impacts people of all skin tones, dark or light. Most cultures tend to revere their lighter-skinned folks, and there are ways in which that reverence can be damaging. Lighter-skinned people of color tend to be fetishized or held to a higher standard of beauty, while darker-skinned people tend to be disregarded on many beauty standard spectrums, or even viewed as dangerous, which is completely ridiculous because there is beauty in all skin tones and the color of your skin does not necessarily reflect whether or not you're going to be a dangerous person. To illustrate this, we can take two women, Beyonce and Michelle Obama. Beyonce is light skin beautiful. Michelle Obama is dark-skinned, beautiful. Both of them can exhibit elegance, and both of them can exhibit uh, confidence, strength, empowerment of women. But Beyonce is viewed by a mass white audience as being slightly more palatable, even though she has a militant message in her music and in her performance. Whereas Michelle Obama, being the first lady, she really couldn't, even if she is in real life, which I don't know, she really couldn't exhibit any militancy without it being misconstrued. And yet she is criticized for for wearing a sleeveless dress because she has naturally muscular arms. And and so in some weird kind of way, she was viewed as slightly dangerous. And they even called her animal names because of her dark skin tone. So I'll say that for me, colorism is uh, one of those passion topics that I, I feel the need to talk about and explore on a regular basis because it does have such a huge impact on people of color. But things get a little bit more complicated when you add mixed raceness into the discussion of colorism because for us it's not just about the color of our skin there's also identity laced in there because we may present as one race that we're mixed with but we may feel as the other race that we're mixed with and therefore if we're being judged or viewed depending on the color of our skin and the person on the inside isn't feeling the way they reflect on the outside it just becomes a little bit more complicated and so for mixed race people i think colorism has a a different kind of impact and that is part of the discussion that I have with Melissa Guzman and it's sort of the thing that drove her desire to tell this story, these stories, these four stories of colorism through complexity. So as I said, this conversation with Melissa was one of the first ones I recorded and it's a little bit choppy and, and not exactly as streamlined as future episodes will be. But it's a good talk, and Melissa is such a fun person, so I'm looking forward to sharing that discussion with you. Before I do that, I am going to share a little bit of audio of a poem that Melissa posted on her Complexity Series fundraiser page. It talks a little bit about her own personal experience with colorism and is kind of the inspiration piece for what the Complexity Series is going to be like. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Melissa Guzman to Militantly Mixed.
1: I'm from Miami, where girls like me walk on the shady side of the street. The sun in my skin weren't allowed to meet. I was confused about my blackness. I had shame in my skin. Wish I would've known the beauty in my melanin so I could heal the pain within. I compared myself to the exotic fruits such as Sophia or Selma. They were the epitome of Latin beauty. A pineapple, the quintessential tropical fruit. I was more like a green mango, sweet, but my blackness made me bitter. My hair was more like a Brillo pad. I didn't shine. I wasn't glitter. I wasn't white. My hair wasn't straight. I didn't have Anglo-Saxon features. Everything about me was easy to berate. I was so broken that I only went for the whiter guys, the white Latinos, hell, anyone that was simply fino. I thought it was as basic as opposites attract, but really I was avoiding anyone that was black. My job was to mejorar la raza, improve the race. Didn't matter if ignorance was the base. Now that I'm older, I know how blessed I am to enjoy both. Mangu, my blackness, my fro. It took a hard education and a trip to Africa to get it through my head, but I guess it's better than walking around as a black Dominican claiming I'm indio instead. I say all this to Relay. Watch what you say to our Afro-Latino kids, the ones who are told to avoid their race, to only choose their culture, their language, the division to embrace. They may end up like a lost woman in Africa trying to understand why we all dance to heavy drums. Teach them to be proud, to be happy, so they can teach their children when the time comes. Teach them their skin is gold and it can be kissed by the sun. Teach them their black is beautiful, bestow self-love and the hatred will be done. Let us end the confusion, be conscious of the effects, because who knew the complexity of our complexion would be so complex?
0: Thank you for joining me, Melissa. Thank you for having me. And thank <laughs> you for talking to me all the times that I that I hit you up and ask you more questions, so I appreciate your time. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself to our audience, and then we'll get into our discussion.
1: Sure. So my name is Melissa Guzmine, the L... There's a name there, but I don't like it. So we're just going to keep it as Melissa L. Guzman.
0: Um, <laughs> Is that just up- to distinguish you from other Melissa Guzmans, like, in production and stuff?
1: Yeah, it does definitely help to, like, find me either on social media and stuff like that mm-hmm. or just look me up in general. But it's such an old lady name. Like, it's not even <laughs> funny. <laughs> I'm like, well, I always ask my mom, like, where did you get this name from? But either way. Um, so I am of Dominican descent. I am from Miami, Florida. It's so funny because, like, I am a Dominican descent, but I I guess technically I'm mixed as well. And people used to always ask me, you look mixed. Like, you look like you're half white, half black. And I'm like, no, I'm just Dominican. But then, like, it's so funny because somebody broke it down. Like, yeah, but you are mixed Mm -hmm. because your dad is a white Dominican and your mom is a black Dominican. And I was like, that's so true because you don't really think about that Mm in perspective of minorities. You don't even think about that as Americans.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm a mixed Dominican, I guess. (laughs)
0: Uh, I hear that a lot with other Dominicans, where they, regardless of whether they have the white or the the black or parents, and they just feel like we're just Dominican. We're an island. We're all the same, even though we're different. We're all mixed. Well, not some people. Some people don't like to be called black (laughs) black. Um, which is the
1: issue with colorism yeah. um, but I grew up in Miami, Florida which I always call like baby you know I feel like it's baby Española because you know the culture is so rich there between Cubans and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans mm-hmm. um, so yeah and then I after Miami, Florida I definitely did like um, a geographical AGD tour of the states mm-hmm. um, so you know like Atlanta and New York and DC and LA so definitely I feel like all those little things have influenced me and you know the work I do today so Mm -hmm. that's just a little tidbit about me I don't know I feel like people usually what they say like their school that they went to I went to Howard University the (laughs) Mecca
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's really kind of what you you feel is 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 the thing that kind of introduces you I mean I think my intros are almost always about my race and then I've had friends like if I've been on like an interview for production or something like that friends will be like why do you go in for a race right away and I'm like oh I don't know this is like when I think about who I am, that's the first thing that... I always think about race and I always just thought that was so interesting
1: because I even like, I remember one time I traveled and I kept talking about race relations and the guy was like, why do you keep talking about race? I'm like, I don't know. It's just the first thing that pops into my mind. It's just something that I gravitate to because right. we treat each other so differently based right. on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, like, I don't feel like an American unless I'm not in the United States. And then suddenly yeah. the way people respond to me makes me go, oh, I am American. I, I like, cause when I'm here, I feel like like an other, I feel like a, a foreigner, you know, even though I'm, yeah. you know, born here and everything. So yeah, I feel like you can't, I, I can't avoid it. It's the first thing. I mean, it's why I'm doing the podcast, you know, it's like, yeah, that's it's the true. first everything thing American that I think about. Thing. Well, no, because other countries do definitely consider
1: race, it, you know, like it's in the forefront of their politics as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's just so prevalent here it in the is. States.
0: Because we're not homogenized enough. Like even, you know, in the Dominican Republic, you're all Dominican, but you look different. You know, but here we're literally not the same things and we're trying to figure out how to t- how to figure out what you are. So I know how to classify you and things like that. And I just I, I feel like we can't really avoid it. But for me, in comparison to say my brother, like I'm all, you know, mixed girl, pro black, you know, blah, 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 blah. And my brother is just like, don't tell anybody what I am. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know, we just have different experiences or, or the things that are different. You know, I'm um he's kind of a hipster, like emo, sad kid kind of guy. And I'm, you know, yeah. like fight the power type. Um, but, you know, just happen to look a little yellow and <laughs> like, I don't, you know, <laughs> whatever.
1: it's so funny. Cause I feel like the, my brother and I have kind of like that same dynamic. He's very chill, very relaxed. He wants no drama. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to face these issues head off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so funny. Cause like when I did complexity, so I was like really ambitious with complexity because I didn't want to do colorism just on, you know, the Latino side, even right. though we have so many issues with colorism. I could make a whole book. Right. I could make a whole right. couple movies long about how messed up we are when it comes to colorism. But I'm like, it's such a global issue. It is. I'm just going to be go, you know, just as, go Balls deep in this and just cover four different um families. So I went and and the with with the African American family, I didn't want to do the typical, even though it's like it is a very important issue. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to just take a different stance because the girl that wrote it with me, um, she's a light-skinned African American and she was like, Yeah, dark-skinned people do go through it, but light-skinned people go through it too. Cause mm-hmm. dark-skinned people are always like shitting on us, thinking we we act like we're better,
0: and all we really want to do is just fit in with other black people. People. The we act um, like we're better thing is such a weird theme that runs throughout yeah. it. It's like the world's the, the, the Caucasian world is the ones who told us that light skin is better. Is better. And yeah. we sit there and police our own selves by saying mm-hmm. these type of things. And so we hurt our own people in doing this. And it's beyond frustrating.
1: Yeah, exactly. So she was she was like, no, we we should definitely take the the route of, you know, there's light skinned women that suffer. You know, we suffer, too. And maybe that whole because it's really just causing like a a vicious circle, Mm -hmm. you know, of just like, you know, light skinned girls start resenting dark skinned girls because they treat them differently. And then dark skinned girls. Or you know, then treating light-skinned girls differently. So it's just like, it's just never ending. Right. So she was like, you know, let's take this perspective instead, as opposed to, you know, the dark-skinned girl that's, you know, because we know dark-skinned women are insecure about their, you know, the color of their skin. She's like, but maybe if we take the other perspective, you know, maybe people can, you know, find a way to kind of have a conversation to help end that circle. Mm-hmm. So my Project follows four different narratives. It follows um, the Afro two Afro, two Latina sisters. One's an Afro Latina, mm-hmm. and one's the typical you know Sofia Vergara um, type. But they're both sisters, and they have different mothers, but the same father. And you just in their relationship of how they grew up is just you could tell how differently the white Latina was treated to the Afro-Latina. Right. Um, so that's their narrative. And then also the white Latina has MS. Um, so that's something that I really wanted to talk about because I have MS. Oh, and I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about it. And I feel like a lot of people that have autoimmune diseases live in shame. When I first got sick, I lived in shame. Mm. I was so ashamed of what I went through. Um, and still to this day, sometimes I get like, nah, I don't want to talk about it. So um, it's it's definitely not easy. But I feel like the more I talk about it, I think the, the stronger I get. And right. then I feel like maybe it'll
0: motivate people to take care of themselves right. as well. So that's their their storyline. That's actually a and theme for another episode I'm doing is how particularly black folks, because that's my experience, but I think people of color in general hide diseases, mental illness. Mm-hmm. You sit there, it's just like, it's the thing we don't talk about because it doesn't happen to us. You're just, exactly. you know, you're a little tired or you need to exercise or you need to eat better. And, exactly. and it's nothing about what we do. So that's, um, that's an important theme. I, I appreciate that you've added that into your...
1: Yeah, so I mean, it definitely wasn't easy because I was like scared because I'm like, if I add this in there, people are gonna be like, this. Where the does this come from? (laughs) Real life. (laughs) Yeah, so, but it's you know, it's like this is about colorism, and then you're adding autoimmune disease. It's like there's a lot going on in the series, but I just wanted to talk about it because I feel like we just don't and. At first I was so hesitant because at the same time I'm like, if I taught if I put this in my series, that means I have to own up to what I am going through. Mm. Uh and, and I've only been diagnosed for a year um. so but again I, I'm like you know this is something that's important I feel like we need to talk about it so I'm gonna talk about it Um. so that's their storyline the second storyline is an Afri- a light-skinned African-American girl most of her family is of darker skin and so she feels like she can't really fit in but then she always like her best friend is the Afro-Latina so I feel like then she's always comparing herself to her she's like okay but she she's black like you know she's black like me but she still has a latina side she still can get away with having an attitude she still can get away with doing all these things because at the end of the day she has an accent Mm -hmm. or she's you know something that's that's like uh not worshipped but you know like you know a commodity or something right fetishized yeah she's fetishized the third storyline is a male perspective which originally i didn't have a male perspective Mm -hmm. it was only female perspectives but i met this really cute guy and he was telling and I just started asking him questions and he was half uh, I think half Filipino and then half uh black but he had like a really chiseled look he was a male model and he was just telling me that his masculinity was always challenged by black men always, yeah. growing up would always challenge his masculinity he always got to go fight he felt like he was never black enough mm-hmm. but then on the other side women fetishized him. He said like he'd be afraid walking home from school cuz wow. it would be like a whole group of girls would be like, "Have my baby, have my baby." <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, so he just felt like he was in this awkward stage of just like feeling really like as a beautiful guy but then also not feeling manly enough. Mm. <laughs> Oddly, So he just felt like it was a constant, you know, battle with that. Right. And then the that's the third one. So then the fourth one is an Indian woman, which I did research through friends that in India, they take milk and honey baths to Mm -hmm. lighten their skin. If that's not working, they move on to bleaching creams.
0: Yeah, I've heard about this, too. It's insane. Mm
1: -hmm. So they and, you know, Jamaicans do the same thing. They use bleaching creams as well. They're really notoriously known for that. Southeast
0: Asians do it as well. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. So somehow I've t- took these four families kind of intertwined them uh, in a sense because you know they kind of all have some connection to each other mm-hmm. in a sense. Um and then Made it relatable and somehow I have no idea, but have made it kind of funny mm-hmm. because <laughs> I'm like, this is so heavy. We need a <laughs> little bit of comedy. So yes, that's why I really wanted to to just find a way to make it all work. Um, and that's that's pretty much complexity.
0: That's awesome. It's nice that you did include the male perspective because I I don't think we deal with colorism as much on the male side as we do. And I like that's I'm familiar with that type of thing of like the the well I mean I'm a mixed black asian but where you kind of don't see men both that you don't really see them as suffering the way that the rest of us do because you think of Mm -hmm. us as more fetishized than than them but also just just that you know that thing where someone wants sort of like a soft sort of feminine but not a feminine man yeah but you still want the dude that can protect you whereas with like an asian black person you kind of get the best of both worlds based off of stereotypes because people view asian men as kind of soft and delicate it's a very weird it's a very weird thing. And I, I'm like, I, I would be excited to see kind of how that story develops with that character. Cause it's such a, I mean, it's a fucked up stereotype, but it's, it's such an interesting thing that people have just crafted. And it's become like, you're just, it's become just a thing. To, yeah. yeah.
1: He said he would go to the gym and, the first thing they would do is stare at his junk to see, like, if he had either an Asian dick or like a black dick,
0: <laughs> like that. Oh my guy. god! At a
1: cafe in Harlem, and this man is like telling me these things, and I'm like, oh okay.
0: I mean, you gotta put that in. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> okay. and I'm like, give hey, my, my back, and I'm, Like, tell me more. <laughs> tell me
0: more. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, it's just, it's just like ridiculous. <laughs> In terms of your filmmaking in general, like sort of what you've done before, what what put you down the path to get to this complexity series? Is there anything that that just felt like was it was just like the pressure that you feel? Like, I have to tell this story because it's inside me. Kind of tell me a little bit how you how you got to it or or your other projects too. sort of what you've what you've done, what you're path has been?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I started off doing like commercials. I'm, I am have a really big bubbly personality. And so agents, I feel like, ooh, we're going to make some money off of you. Mm. And so I would be sent on these commercials, but a lot of them, like the Latino ones, because you know, eventually like it became popular to be Latino. Right. Um, for a second there. And then I would go to these commercial auditions and you'd see the typical white Latinas there. And then it will be my black ass. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just a wild card card that just, you know, spent my money to get here for fun. And all of them are like, oh, well, you know, they saw your headshot. They know what you look like. So you're there for a reason. And and in my head, I'm like, kiss my ass. Like, you're not the one that's spending time, that's spending money to go to these auditions just not to get picked because I never got picked. Mm. The only time I got actually picked was when it came to an African-American role. Mm. And that is fine. The industry does not recognize Afro-Latinas yet. And then, so eventually I just started to get frustrated and I'm like, okay, I want to tell this story. And that happened like just like around December. It just, it just was like coming to me, Mm. something that I really wanted to do. But I was already had another project that I really wanted to work on, which was called I'm not ready because I'm 30. And at the time I was like in my 28 or so. And, you know, all these things about babies and being pregnant and everyone always, you know, talks about like how, how it's like beautiful to, to start a family. And in my mind, I'm always like, okay, people are full of shit. You know, <laughs> kids I'm sure are a beautiful thing, but they're, it, it's not everything. Yeah, no. So I, I wanted to like explore that narrative of what it's like to, if I was to have a child and what it's like to like have a child in New York city. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of, came up with all the negative things of what it would feel like, you know, like um, feel, you know, that feeling of loneliness sometimes that you get when you're pregnant or that scared feeling that you have when you're pregnant, riding the train while pregnant, people are not getting up from your seat mm-hmm. so I did that film in January of 2017 and I was like, okay, after I do this film I'm definitely going to work on complexity I'm going to make complexity happen because that started festering in my mind around December of 2016 and then I got sick as fuck, so mm-hmm. I had to, like, take a break on everything. Like, I couldn't even promote Not Ready. it couldn't enter it into any film festivals. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything because I got so sick. Literally, my life turned into a telenovela of me trying to survive. Right. Um, but I didn't want to give up on it. So I just kept, like... I had it in the back of my mind, and I went to the hospital so many times. I was in the hospital seven times last year. Oh, my gosh. So, eventually, like, towards May, it got to the point where I didn't think I was going to make it. I really didn't think I was going to make it came May, come May. But I just – I don't know. I just felt like I didn't want to give up. Mm-hmm. So, I kept trying to, like, push. I'm like, okay, I need something. I need something to do. I need something to make, help me get up um, right. get up the day. So – I just, I had my, at the time, my left hand stopped working. So mm. I'd just be closed up in a fist because I had weakness on the left side. So literally with one hand, I'd be like typing one letter at a oh time my gosh. Angry as fuck, like this thing is gonna i was just so angry because in may just everything that could possibly go wrong in my life just it just went wrong like right. i uh ended up in a wheelchair i had to go through chemo my oh boyfriend of three years left to me like this all happened within one month oh my gosh Um, so I really feel like complexity really was the only thing that kept me alive because I just, I, you, you go numb, you go into a darkness Mm -hmm. once. So everything you feel like, okay, you get a little bit of hope and then you get shut down again. You get a little bit of hope and you shut down again. So I think that anytime like, I'm like, okay, so I don't have visitors. I don't need my 17 pills right now. I don't have, you know, medical students coming in, asking me and poking at me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So let me take this time to do something for myself. So then... I, I came up with the first episode in the hospital, but because I was living such a dramatic life at the time, the whole episode was like a really drama filled telenovela type. Right, right. So then I reached out to a writer in Atlanta, and she and I met with her. You know, like around August, that kind of got healthy enough, mm-hmm. and so we worked on the first one or two episodes. And I feel like she helped shaped where the series can really go. Oh, okay. Uh, she gave like, she helped me. I feel like she just helped me give, she gave me the confidence that I needed mm. um, because it was,
0: it was a disaster prior. <laughs> Do you feel that the motivation to keep to keep going and to into and, and sort of using complexity as a as a way to get yourself healthy again, as a way to keep yourself motivated? Do you feel that like it's your touchstone? It's the thing that's gonna keep you keep you going? Does it go beyond a few episodes? Is it is it a forever type of project for you? I would definitely like so my goal I'm like reaching for the
1: stars because now they're like Emmy nominating web series you know there's great web series that got Emmy nominated like Brown Girls Giant Series was the recent one so that I want to get Emmy nominated that I feel like this project is good enough I feel like it's deserving enough and I just believe in it that much Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that you know we make it to a second season I hope we make it to a third season and then eventually you know maybe someone would want to you know, work, work with it to get it to a different level. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, I did it, you know, some people told me I should make it as a documentary, but I feel like sometimes people just don't want to, unless they're going to sit there in the classroom, they don't want to sit there and be preached. They don't want to sit there and learn, you know? So instead of just me teaching them all these messages directly, Mm -hmm. I wanted to entertain people, make them laugh, make them feel, make them have some sense of empathy and invest in these Families. Right. And then at the end, be like, okay, so that line kind of like, you know, resonated with me because I've been told this before. Right. Or the fact that, you know, this guy checked out Jasenya before he checked out Ava, that's so typical that he would go before the light skinned girl before he goes for the Afro Latina. Mm-hmm. And I just, those little nuances I entered in there to just have discussion pieces
0: to hopefully little by little create some change. Mm hmm. That's so. I mean, yeah, because like even someone like Issa Rae, she started Awkward Black Girl as a web series just to talk about mm-hmm. like, hey, some of us black girls are awkward and nerdy too, and then it turns into this, you know, insecure yeah, thing for, is, for yeah. HBO. And now, now from that, she has a platform where she's producing other shows on HBO. So yeah. it's not in a it's not a it's not a dream that we shouldn't feel like we should have. Like it's definitely yeah. something that you know is obtainable, and especially probably now. Uh, content providers are probably looking for people like us that create things to get down that path. I mean, uh, even Showtime with uh, Lena Wathan the chai you know like yeah they're starting to hear stories that aren't your typical white girl problems and all that other kind of stuff so yeah exactly so that's cool what about like let's do a little bit of uh, origin story stuff like what was your upbringing like do you have the the mix in your family where uh, like some of you are dark and some of you are light and how how do you navigate your sort of family background
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Miami. My mom is a black Dominican and my dad is a white Dominican. My dad wasn't really never around in my life like that. But I feel like so it started really young for me. Hmm. So I used to get called zebra (laughs) because like... Kids would see and this is like preschool, kids would come and see my mom pick me up and then, you know, a couple of days later my dad might pick me up. So mm. they'd just be confused, like, Oh, you're a zebra. We don't know what you are. So I'd come home <laughs> crying like, Mom, everyone thinks I'm a zebra <laughs> Or zebra. <laughs> zebra. Which is it. Yeah, zebra. Um, everyone thinks I'm a zebra. So I would cry all the time. And she she thought it was the funniest thing, but that's kind of where it started. Mm. And then I went to Miami where cute white Cuban girls are really fetishized in the, you know, the exotic, the land of exotic women. Right. Miami. And there was separation in school. So the blacks kind of hung out with blacks and then Hispanics hung out with Hispanics. There was just, there wasn't much of a mix in there. Mm. Growing up in Miami. And so I just felt like I was in this weird line because I never felt like I really fit in with Latinos. And I felt like I never fully fit in with black people, even though most of my friends were black, because that's where I felt more comfortable. Right. Because Latinos being as racist as they are. Oh, you talk black. You act black. Whatever that means.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So it just to me, it just always felt weird. And then sometimes... Um, I would say things, like, at the time, like, little things, like, for show or something like that. Right. And I'd get black girls saying, you can't use that, you ain't black. Mm. And so
0: I'm just like, what? You can't win <laughs> anywhere, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> what box do I check? Who I am know. I? So I so just... As a Dominican, do you feel mixed because your parents are white and black presenting? Or do you feel like D- Dominican people just are a mix of white and Afro-Latino La- people? I think, I think we are just mixed because if you
1: think about history... Um, you know, we started off with Taino people, which is the indigenous people to the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. But when Christopher Columbus came through, he brought all his Spaniard friends and they raped and they killed all the Tainos. Mm-hmm. And I think by the time he was done, it was like only like 200 200- Tainos left on the island. That's how much of a murder spree he went on. So if you think about it, there's only 200 left. Then you get Spaniards and you get Africans that are mixing. We are mixed. It doesn't matter how white you are, how blonde your hair is, how light your eyes are. We are mixed in some shape or form. You have African black ass blood running through your veins. Right. But you get Dominicans that will say, I'm not black. I'm not a cocono, which is like a slight that they use mm-hmm. or you better not bring home a black boy mm-hmm. and it's usually the blackest ones that are saying ridiculous things like that like they want to like, lighten their they want to lighten themselves up it's like I delusion i remember my grandmother and you know thank god she's not on social media <laughs> because she would kill me um but i remember my grandmother one time like Anytime I would have a boyfriend, my mom would joke, me and my mother would joke, they'd be like, oh, I'm going to meet your family today. I hope they like me. i am like, oh, yeah, you're white. You're fine. Or if it was a black guy, I'd be like, okay, I got to strategize this to see how I'm going to introduce him. You know, like it was like a whole thing. And I remember I went to Africa one time and my grandma was like, oh, what did you bring me back from Africa? And I was like, oh, a mirror. (laughs) She just was not happy about (laughs) it. And my mom would be like, I get get what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. I get it. But, you know, she's 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 in her 80s. Yeah. We, we, we can't really change how she thinks right now, Yeah, we all did that. But in my mind, I'm like, I don't care. She needs to recognize that she's black. Right. But I do know for sure we did have a dictator. Um, I think he came around the 1940s or 50s or something like that. And his name was Trujillo. Trujillo. I'm probably butchering that very, <laughs> very badly. Um, but he used to put, like, baby powder on his face to mm. whiten it. Mm. And then used to also send pictures out of white people to different countries saying, come on to the Dominican Republic, Mm. we're white and we're beautiful. <laughs> so I feel like that also just that conditioning just continued to be ingrained. Thank like people. you're not black, you're Latino, and these white pictures. So it's like I feel like people, even though they they have black skin, they still see themselves separated from their blackness mm. because they kept being told, "You're not black, you're not black, you're not black."
0: Yeah, that's that's actually something that because I you know because I'm not Afro Latina, I don't have that direct connection, but I've seen it in friends of mine growing up where they don't feel Latin enough accepted as. Mm-hmm. Latin enough. They don't feel black enough. Uh, I think, I, you know, Amarla Negra recently started talking a lot about this. It's like, yeah, she, she's she so dark skinned, but she's got the, the Latina accent and she, you know, she feels very much grounded in her Latinas, but she needs people to start seeing, like, we are black. Some of us are black and we are still just as Latin as you are and everything. Exactly. Like Acceptant. Do you, uh, is there also, so I know that, like, Brazilians and Colombians have a version of this where there's, like, the white Latinos, the black Latinas, and then something in the middle, which is that indigenous mix or something like that. Do you, does your culture also have that? And do you feel that there is some sort of, um, is there, is there a more Dominicanness in that indigenous background at all? I mean, we're very proud people.
1: So, you know, even we, we are a very proud culture. I do feel like we, because we call the, like the mixed ones mulata. Um, oh, know, that's still se- a term for you. Yeah, that's still a term. Yeah, like mulata and mulata. Yeah, so that's still a term. So we do have terms for the people that are like in the middle. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's so much of a, of a separation. I think it's just more of a consensus of we're everything but black.
0: You know? <laughs> gosh, it's so amazing. I mean, even like on the, on the Asian side, they do this too. So our, the version that my experience comes from is I'm Japanese on my mom's side. And we had to keep the fact that we were black away from the Japanese family, because I mean, it, it was viewed as it's already bad enough that my mom was half white, you know, and my great grandmother has, uh, of all her six children or five children, the, three of them married white men. And so like, you know, my great grandma has all these, you know, half white, half Japanese, um, uh, kids and grandkids, and it's okay. It's fine. It's it's not the best, but it's not the worst. And then if if you know, me and my brother were pretty dark as kids, so they're looking at us like, well, what a constant. What is your father? What is your father? And we just American, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> but we were so dark that they definitely wanted to know. And I didn't find out until years later when I finally started telling my cousins that I was black. That they were like, you know, that we call you guys the Mexicans because you were so brown. We didn't know what to do with you, so we just referred yeah. to you in the family as the Mexicans. <laughs> it's like okay. Do you do you feel that uh growing up that when you were around so did you you mostly grew up in sort of a mixed community but they de- they self-segregated right mm-hmm. right so at at any point do you feel like you get get to walk around in your own skin and be proud of both things or do you feel like in this group I have to I have to be more proud of my blackness and in this group I have to be more proud of my latinaness
1: um, before I felt like I had to um like you know whichever line I wanted to cross I felt like I had to fit in more so you know I'm gonna really hang out with my black friends I could just you know be myself and be black as hell if I wanted to mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna hang out with my Latino friends and then all of a sudden you know subconsciously my my accent comes out more and you know the the sayings I say sound a little bit more Latino so it's, I feel like it's just like a conditioning that I've done to myself like if I'm if I am gonna fit in I have to be I have to be more purple today. I have to be more green today. Right. So I feel that was the case now that I'm a little bit older. And I feel like also another thing about being sick is like my, my thing when I got sick was I don't have to be nice. I'm sick. <laughs> like right. Right. I don't care what you think. I am sick. Um, and I think it just grounded me so well to the earth and to the soil and to who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. If I'm, you know, who, what doesn't matter in what group I am in, I am who I am. Right. And I think that's what gave me also the, the confidence to put myself out there for complexity, because it's not really easy putting yourself out there trying mm-hmm. to make a project happen. You know, I wrote it, I, you know, I'm, I, I did, it's a big part of who I am. And I put my, my, my soul into it. So right. it's, I, I have a lot of anxiety about putting myself out there, especially, sure. you know, talking about my, my autoimmune disease. Right. I don't want people to know that. Um, but I'm doing it because I know there's a lot of people that feel that way and they feel like they have to walk. The line and be you know more you know this way day or more Asian this day or whatever the case is, and I just after I got so grounded in who I am, I just felt so much more confident in myself, and I think that's kind of where I started with complexity too because. I started to lose myself because I started to not feel like myself. Right. Because something was going on with my body and I didn't know what. And you didn't have the control
0: over it. And I didn't
1: have the control. So before I got diagnosed, I would get tired. I would get depressed. I would get irritable. And all these things are happening to me. And I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I just had depression and low self-esteem. That's what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to go back to figure out, I'm like, why am I so fucked up? Like, why do I feel this way? And I think I started thinking about the little things that started to make me insecure. And a lot of it dealt with colorism. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of where the foundation of complexity started, and then now that I'm, I am more confident in myself, and I feel more rooted in who
0: I am. I just want to give that gift to everyone because it's such an important thing. That makes me happy to hear, um, to hear you say that. I mean, part of this experience so far for me has been like. I say that I, I started militantly. make I've been sitting on it for a couple of years. It's, you know, same type of thing. It's something that's speaking to me. I want to do, but it's hard mm-hmm. to put yourself out there, uh, especially if you throw yourself so deep into it and you feel like if it's not well received, then th- it's not just that they're not receiving your project. They're not receiving you, um, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a lot of pain and stuff that goes along with that. So when I start, I finally I'm finally to the place where like I know who I am and I want to share this with people. It starts out as this like public platform to talk about mix mixedness because I talk about it so often anyway, and then mm-hmm. I start to connect with people. And, you know, there are a lot of shared experiences across the board. But there's some that are so different from mine that it didn't even occur to me, you could be mixed in the way that some of the people I'm talking to have experienced, yeah. you know, you know, uh, at first, I'm just thinking, we're just going to talk about what it's like to be us. And then it goes really deep and uh, dark or exactly. emotional. And it's weird that even in the dark, darkest stories, I'm somehow like uplifted by the fact that I'm like, oh, this is actually confirming yeah. that the need that I have is is a need outside of me. And that's why I need to do this. And I think that's why you need to do complexity too, uh, with colorism being such a thing that you have to constantly come back to. And, and same for me, um, just allowing myself to be mixed and not have to pick is so important to me that I need to tell the story and I need to tell other people's stories through, you know, through that kind of lens. And even once we get to that grounded place that like you 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 achieved and I have achieved, it's not like we're not still affected by the scars that we have or anything mm-hmm. like that. And and in a lot of cases we're probably really driven by those by those scars. Yeah. So when it's really like, you know, I know what you shared is is a big deal. I know that it's not easy to talk about this stuff. And even though we're on a podcast and our faces aren't necessarily out there, we still feel like we're being, you know, scrutinized. Yeah. And you're stared vulnerable. At. yeah, yeah. exactly. You're so vulnerable. I find myself getting a little choked up in those moments. I, I feel choked up when someone is telling me that they, they, they still can't figure out their identity. I'm finding myself getting choked up when someone says, I know who I am, you know, and I'm, I'm proud and I'm confident and I'm happy in it. And it's like, it's such a weird emotional experience to 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 be going through over these last few weeks just just while i'm trying to bank my first few episodes i'm just like oh my gosh i didn't expect this journey to be as emotional as it is um so i'm very appreciative that you did share uh, about your ms and i i hope that maybe in the future as i get further along and start to collect more stories maybe we come back and and talk about about that too and i'm sure you have new experiences that you're going to have from it, than things that you need to learn about yourself through it, um, how it's going to impact your, your abilities to, to do this work at the same time, I imagine is some real significant stuff. Uh, Is there anything outside of what we've sort of already talked about that you feel is important to share that you would like other people to know about? I
1: just, I just want people to just, you know, be able to just live in their truth and just Honestly, just learn to accept themselves because as as soon as you start to lift that weight of of just like that pressure that you have to be something that you really don't have to be um, because people gravitate towards you when you truly and authentically are yourself Mm -hmm. um I've noticed so you know look Cardi B like (laughs) she (laughs) talks about anyone and how they feel like (laughs) um so that's something that I I admire about her Negra is the same way she was like do y'all think I sit here and put dark skin makeup on myself right
0: people sound insane and i I have fallen in love with that woman because she is so unabashedly afro-latina like she's like this is my full identity
1: and i love it like this is who i am and i just want everyone to live that way because it is the best life to have honestly Yeah, I I really
0: appreciate you sharing um, with me.
1: So yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Um, If you want to find out more information, you can always go to www.complexityseries.com. Once again, it's complexityseries.com. People always ask me how I came up with the name, and I was just playing with words. And for me, it was, in my head, I'm like, it's ridiculous that the how complex our complexion is.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, it's a brilliant title.
1: <laughs> so that's how I came up with complexity. So y- you can always check out the Instagram page or is Complexity Series on Facebook. It's the same thing, Complexity Series. You can always <laughs> contact me directly by Melissa Guzman on Facebook as well. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone or just listen to anyone that's going back and forth with how they feel.
0: Yeah, th- that's the goal of Militant Mix too, is not just to share our stories, but to build a community amongst us and you know give us a network of people to help us heal where we need healing or to share experiences or to have an experience that's totally different from ours sort of open us up a little bit further so thank you so much for for coming on I hope we talk 11 billion more times about any other no, future yeah, projects I it. yeah anytime
1: anytime you need someone
0: Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media: Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.